I'm, I'm so glad, uh, even honored, that you have uh, chosen to connect online today, and I hope you'll stay uh, with us right to the end this morning. We conclude our nine-week series that we've been in through the New Testament letter of Ephesians, written to uh, Christians in the city of Ephesus around 60 to 65 A.D., And uh, it's been a good journey through this awesome letter. Today, the title of this message is The Spiritual Fight. Uh, We we didn't forget that today is Palm Sunday, uh, but we wanted to uh, finish the book of Ephesians. And I'll say some few brief comments about this important day at the end of this message. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that is truth. Help us to open our hearts to it fully this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The spiritual fight. Who do we fight? Satan. Not one another. According to this section of Ephesians, it is clear that we have an enemy. His name is Satan. How do you picture him? As I say that, Satan, the devil, what, what comes to mind? I can, probably, I can probably draw a picture, if I could draw, of what you're thinking right now. But, but Satan is, is actually not an imaginary figure, you know, creepy guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. No, he's, he's, he's not that. He, he is an actual real enemy of God. That, he, that the Bible describes in detail. And ever since he got kicked out of heaven, and the narrative, the story of that um, actual happening is in a, an Old Testament book. The Old Testament is the first section of the Bible uh, before Jesus came to earth, if you're not familiar with that. Uh, there's, a, there's a book called Isaiah, writ, uh, written by the guy named, a prophet, a spokesman for God, Isaiah. And God revealed to him supernaturally what happened when, when pride entered uh, Lucifer was his name, which means shining star, uh, when, when he got the boot out of heaven because he started to think, I'm pretty good. I'm, I, I, I got what it takes. I should be in charge here in heaven. And so he, he got tossed out of heaven along with a bunch of angels that uh, kind of sided with him. And the Bible refers to them now as, as demons. And, and again, to, to some of you, this, this just may sound so bizarre, and, and it is. It's, it's wild to think about, but I, I believe this is a reality. It's not fiction. Uh, the Bible is so clear. We, we see evidence in our world as well uh, regarding the, the reality of this person uh, called Satan. Whatever God creates, whatever God creates, Satan wants to destroy and he did that with God's first human creation. He, he, he sidetracked them with temptation and doubt and uh, humanity's relationship with God. Their creator was in that moment of, of them choosing to give in to Satan's temptation in the Garden of Eden. You read about that in the early chapters of Genesis, the very first book of the Old Testament. At that moment, their relationship with their creator that, that God had uh, designed, he, he had made that first human male and female to, to be in relationship with him out of his heart of love. He wanted relationship. It was a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. But that was completely fractured in that moment of uh, Adam and Eve succumbing to the temptation that Satan put before them. And yet God had a plan. 
God had a plan that this relationship with humanity be restored. And that's the whole story, actually, of, of, of Palm Sunday and the Easter week. And, of course, Easter, Easter Sunday next week. Uh, when, when Jesus came as the bridge to be the, the bridge between us and God to allow us the opportunity of this uh, personal and eternal relationship with our creator that, that he designed for us in the, in the first place. Well, today we look at a New Testament passage that explains how we can protect our lives and our eternities from Satan's deceitful and destructive influence. And in fact, his, his plan for us. So I want to read, uh, reading from uh, the New Living Translation in modern English. Um, if you don't have a Bible, that's, uh, uh, that's uh, the translation I am reading from. You can go to BibleGateway.com and see uh, various translations of Scripture there. Ephesians 6, 10 to 24 is what we're reading now. So read with me um, and uh, you'll see the, the words on the, on the screen there as I read this uh, uh, fairly lengthy passage here. Paul writes, he says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And by that he doesn't mean actual like heaven where God is, uh, but, but space out there, which our world is a part of. And then verse 13 of Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will stand or you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all this, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as a helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be, be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. And that certainly applies in this day, doesn't it? Verse 19, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles. So everybody in the world. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. In the introduction of a book called The Bait of Satan, uh, John Bevere writes this, Satan is not as blatant as many believe. He is subtle and delights in deception. If we're not trained by the word of God to divide rightly or to, he, by that he means to understand rightly uh, between good and evil, we won't recognize Satan's traps for what they are. That's a wise comment for us to listen to. There's no doubt from a biblical and an experiential perspective that there is an enemy of our souls. There really is. His name, as I said already, Satan. He opposes everything that God loves, which makes 
us human beings, his, his prime target, especially those who have chosen to follow Jesus. Uh, another New Testament writer, Peter, uh, a follower of Jesus, who uh, de- some decades later wrote to Christians who had been dispersed in, uh, because of persecution at that time. In his little letter near the end of the New Testament, uh, 1 Peter 5, 8, he says to Christians, he says, be alert. Be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Certainly, Satan does, he, he certainly wants to pull us away from God in any way he can. That is abundantly clear in the scripture, and we see evidence of it in our lives. And yet, I guess a word of caution I, I, I think that sometimes Christians can waste time and energy at times, trying to figure out the precise source of the specific evil or the tragedy that they, that they may see in their lives individually or in our world. And, and that, again, no doubt applies in what's happening currently in our world. The specific source of, uh, of, of trouble and pain can be varied. Uh, certainly, it can be a direct uh, initiation or initiative rather of, of Satan, his, his, his direct attack for sure. Or it, it can occasionally be um, uh, the result of our own choices at times that have choices that sometimes have direct consequences. Or of course, simply the fact that we, we live in a broken world due to this thing called original sin. And, and so things don't currently function as God originally intended. And, and that's, that's really, I believe, from Scripture, the, the foundational cause of the evil we see in our world. Uh, the, the sinful choice of our first human parents, what I refer to as original sin. It, it, brought, it brought brokenness into our lives and into our world at every, every level. But, but thankfully, God in His grace is in the business of restoring. Uh, there, there's spiritual restoration, relational restoration for us uh, now, for, for any one of us who receive the gift of eternal salvation through, through tr- uh, trusting in Christ. And there's also this thing called future restoration uh, of, of things, of, of a time in the future the Bible speaks about when, when God will create uh, a new heaven and a new earth. And, and again, the Bible talks about that in, uh, in, in end time events, uh, which is a topic for, for another time. We dealt with that a little bit actually last fall in our Through the Bible in, in Seven Weeks series. And you can go back and listen to those messages if you, if you want. As we approach Easter... We know that Satan, Satan thought that he had won when, when Jesus was hanging on that cross and dying on that cross. And when he was dead, <laughs> Satan thought his victory was, was sure uh, over God and over his creation and over humanity. But, but Jesus knew that his death on the cross would take care of our, 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 every one of us, our sin's penalty. So, so it was really a place of victory, not defeat. And his resurrection from the dead three days later absolutely confirmed that. But, but still, whatever God builds, Satan tries to break. God wants to build into you uh, an absolute confidence in his love for you. Well, Satan tries to undermine that, D- doesn't he? Yes. Don't let him. Don't let him do that. Uh, whatever God wants to cultivate, Satan uh, wants to destroy. Uh, God wants to grow unity in the body of Christ, but Satan wants to destroy that by bringing division. It's, it's so obvious. 
Jesus prayed in, in John 17 that his followers would live in unity with one another. So it shouldn't surprise us. It should not surprise us that Satan tries to bring division between Christians wherever he can. And again, don't let him do this. Don't let him use you to, uh, to do that, to bring division um, in, in, uh, in between you and, and another Christian or anybody. Um, whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. There, there's, there's counterfeit miracles. There, there are counterfeit ways to find direction in life. Uh, you see, we usually, we usually talk about uh, or, or we usually think of a demonic, the, the whole area of the demonic as some kind of you know, crazy, weird stuff. Uh, most of the time, though, it's, it's just ordinary things that take Christians out spiritually. You know, the, the demonic is not, is, is not the plate flying across the room uh, necessarily. Um, mostly it's things that Satan, you know, like, like him convincing us that, that holding on to that grudge is the, the best thing to do. That holding on to bitterness against that person who hurt you is the best thing to do. You know, we start to think that ah, I'm justified in, in how I feel about them. That's, that's the work of Satan in our minds and in our hearts, in combination with our own human, broken, sinful nature, of course. But, but he'll, he'll latch on to that, right? Uh, and again, this, this shouldn't be surprising since Satan, listen, the, Satan is still running on the fuel that his own grudge against God from so long ago uh, feeds. It, it, that fuel of, of bitterness that, that provides fuel to his own heart and, and, and what he does in our lives these days. And so when we hold, when we put it this way, when we hold on to a grudge, think about it. Who are we being like? Really? Um, so let's, let's not let Satan in in these kind of ways. So Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, we're to be strong in the Lord and we are to put on the armor of God because of the fact that Satan also has a plan for our life. We don't talk about that a lot, maybe, but it's true. He'll, he'll even disguise himself to, to accomplish that plan. Same author, the Apostle Paul here who wrote Ephesians, wrote another book to Christians in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, he, he warns Christians there. He, he, he writes about uh, a warning about false prophets and, and false teachers as he does many times in the New Testament. And then in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 11, uh, he, he says that it shouldn't be surprising that there are false teachers because Satan himself, he puts it this way, masquerades as an angel of light. Interesting masquerades, puts on a charade, a costume to hide his true self. And he comes many times as an angel of light and good and all of that. Not so. And we need, we need to line anything we hear from, from any human person, going back to what Paul said about uh, false teachers. We need to, to align what we hear always because there's a lot out there. We need to align it with the plumb line of God's word. And, and that applies to anything I say. If, it does, not if you, it does not line up with God's word, listen to God's word and not to me or any other human person. Well, I love how straightforward Jesus is when he describes Satan. In uh, John, his, his friend and follower captured this in, in chapter 8 of his uh, gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four gospels. Gospel is just a, eyewitness account of Jesus' life. And John 8, Jesus just, just describes Satan to a T. He says, there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Ah, way to go. Jesus just, just nailed it in, in, in terms of who Satan is. So anyway, let's walk through this passage in Ephesians 6 and see what God wants Christ followers to know and to do um, so they won't succumb, so we won't succumb to the trickery uh, or the negative influence of our enemy Satan. Verse 10, we read it already. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong how? Through God's mighty power made available to us supernaturally as we surrender to him. Christian friend, we, we must not try to do this um, Christian life or, or, or certainly not, you know, uh, fighting Satan, if you will, in, in our own strength. But we can so easily do that. We can be more than confident, actually, in God's strength within us. And, and this passage helps us to see how we can be outfitted with God's strength. And, and the, the armor, as is the picture here, the, the armor that God provides for this thing called spiritual battle is, is where our strength comes from. Um, so uh, that's a good thing that that's available to us. Verse 11 and 12, again, put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And then Paul goes on to say that it's not a, it's not a, a normal battle like, like we would think of in the, in the physical uh, realm. It's a, it's a supernatural battle. There's unseen uh, powers and they're real. And it's a reference to what I talked about before, the, these previous uh, angels in heaven that sided with Lucifer and, and together with Lucifer got the boot out of heaven. They're in opposition under Lucifer's direction in this world and in our hearts uh, today. And so that's what, what is being talked about when, when Paul says in the unseen world, that's the battle we're fighting. So the strategies of Satan are, are, are numerous schemes that he has uh, to trip us up, uh, to, to bring us down, to discourage us, to cause us to fail. Um, many strategies. And, and one of them actually is, is to keep uh, us from having a biblical insight or, or having a biblical perspective rather into how Satan operates. C.S. Lewis, uh, writer of the, the Narnia Chronicle series that so many of you know, most all of us probably. Uh, but he wrote a book, a little book, excellent book, a book out of his creative imagination, but, but still based on biblical truth, called uh, Screwtape, The Screwtape Letters. And it's about the interaction that could go on uh, between, between Lucifer, the commanding officer of the dark side, and, and his army of demons. A very insightful and, and uh, uh, good book. I recommend it to you. But in the introduction of that book, Lewis talks about how, how Satan works Kind of two extremes often. Uh, one is getting people to, uh, to, to, to believe that evil forces don't exist. And he, you know, cultivates, the, causing them to think of this devil as a, as a little creepy guy, again, as I mentioned, but, you know, with, with, with hooves and, and horns. And, and then the natural question is, come on, you don't, you, you can't believe in something like that, can you? Well, fair question. Uh, or the other extreme, he gets people to have an unhealthy interest in everything demonic, which, which can take our focus off of God, uh, which again, Satan wants. And I, I believe I've seen this at times, even in, in Christians. And so we need to, we need to be, be careful of, of those two extremes. Let's go back to the phrase, the strategies of the devil in Ephesians uh, 6, uh, his, his schemes. You see, I, I think that Christians, as Christians, we can often identify things in our lives that are, are not good. Um, individual challenges, uh, uh, like, like 
finding it hard to forgive someone or, or finding it hard to have a meaningful and, and growing uh, prayer life um, or uh, resisting temptation. Okay, we can identify that those aren't good. But I think often as Christians, we, we fail to recognize that these various individual struggles are actually part of a larger plan that our enemy Satan has for our lives. No need to be afraid of Satan, but we need to be aware of this truth. 1 John 4, 4, again, a little letter near the end of the New Testament written by, you guessed it, John, uh, to Christians. He, he says, he writes there in, in 1 John 4, 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So he's speaking to Christians. The one who is in us as Christians is the Holy Spirit of God, who supernaturally, just it, it, it's mind-boggling actually, but biblically true and experientially true for those of us who have trusted Christ. The Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells within us. So he's reminding Christians, the one, the very one, the God of the universe, if you're a Christian who is in you, who dwells in you, who lives in you, who li- wants to live his life through you, he is, he's greater. He's more powerful. He's much smarter. He's greater in every way than the one, a reference to Satan, who is doing his work in the world to keep people away from God. So Christians need to be aware, but we don't need to fear Satan or his work because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Powerful little verse. Um, so so the spiritual battle is, is very real. It's not fought, as we said already, in, in, the, in the physical realm. It's not fought with bullets or tanks. It's a battle that is unseen, but but can become very uh, evident in our lives at times. And so Paul says it again in in, uh, Ephesians 6.13, what he already said in, in verse 11. He reiterates it. Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. We want to be that. We want to stand firm in the face of challenge, in the face of temptation, in the face of... Do we always know? But God picks us up and says, come on, son, come on, daughter, just keep going. I love you. I forgive you. And, and that's the beauty of, of God's grace and in body life as, as, a, as, a, as a body of Christ. We encourage one another on that path. So we see the pieces of armor in uh, verses 14 to 17, and I'm going to have to hurry up here. Time-wise, Paul wrote this letter from prison. He was there, uh, by the way, for his, simply for talking about Jesus. Wasn't supposed to be doing that. Put him in prison. And he's there and he's observing, uh, it's been suggested, and I think plausibly, uh, that he's observing the Roman soldiers. And he starts to look at their, uh, at all of the things, the items of of battle, and he starts to get this picture of what it is to be a Christ follower and how to be an effective. Of Christ follower that stands firm in this spiritual battle that he knew was a reality and he lived it as well. And so he goes through all of the pieces of, of uh, the, you know, the items of armor. Verse 14, he says, put on the belt of truth, the belt of truth. For the Roman soldier, the, the thick belt held everything together, probably their, their paunch too, but, but it, it brought their tunic, uh, you know, firmly around them so they had freedom of movement in battle. It, uh, it helped support the, the, uh, the body armor or the New King James Version says the breastplate of, of righteousness. Uh, the, the, well, for him, it was uh, the actual breastplate. And it, it supported, of course, the, the sheath for, their, for the sword and, and maybe, maybe a knife as well. The imagery here is that truth holds everything together. 
Truth is the foundation upon which everything else rests. If we don't know the truth about Jesus and about his word, we cannot avoid deception. Everything in our spiritual life is fastened and held together by the truth of God's word. So metaphorically, let's, let's put on, let's put on the belt of truth. And, and love and know God's word so we can outfit ourselves with everything else that we need to resist Satan in our lives. Belt of truth. And then he says, put on the body armor of God's righteousness. The Roman soldier, again, wore uh, body armor to protect, obviously, his, his heart uh, physically in battle and the vital organs from being punctured by other swords. Um, in spiritual terms, there's definitely a battle over over our hearts, over our, the, the core being of who we are, our, our affections, our, our passions, uh, our allegiance. Uh, there is a battle for that. God wants those things. And Satan wants those things from us. It's a battle. That's, that's, the, that's the essence of what we call spiritual battle, scripturally. There's other aspects, but that, that's the core of it. And God deserves all that. I mean, he created us. He loves us most and knows us best. Why wouldn't I surrender my heart and life and the core of my being and my thoughts and my future and my eternity and my passions and my, right? To the one who created me, knows me best, loves me most. So Satan's at war with God to possess our hearts because if he has our heart, he has us and he has our eternity. It's, it's, it's why wise Solomon, King Solomon in the Old Testament wrote in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. Guard uh, your heart with all diligence, he said, because out of it flows everything, everything else about life and eternity. Wise words. That's really, again, the core of, of what we call the spiritual fight. And so Paul ties the body armor metaphor to righteousness because he knows that we are only brought into God's eternal family, not by anything we can do on our own. None of us. None of us can do enough. God's too perfect. God's too holy. The standard's too high, but he doesn't expect me to. That's why he sent Jesus. And so as I trust in Jesus and his righteousness, that it's like I'm covered in the, the, uh, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, again, refers to just this, this idea of being covered in the righteousness of Christ. And so when God the Father, the perfect Holy One of the universe, looks at me, he doesn't see my sinfulness because I've trusted in Christ and received his forgiveness. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And that's what makes me acceptable or you acceptable as a Christian into his Eternal family, it's a beautiful thing. What a gift. So that's the, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, verse 15, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Can't go out the door. You're not fully prepared to go out. Nice suit on, nice dress, no shoes. No, not, not in our culture. Anyway, shoes, important part of being outfitted for spiritual battle. But it's an interesting paradox, though, because, again, Paul is talking, ta telling us to, to put on armor for battle. Uh, and, and, and yet when he gets to footwear that actually physically takes us to our enemy, he talks about peace. Interesting. Peace. Satan doesn't want anyone to possess the gift of God's peace because because God's peace in our minds and our hearts gives us spiritual traction. Not, not to mention the gift of eternal life, right? But f follow with me. Unlike a modern 
army boot. The Roman soldier's footwear was very light. Uh, a leather uh, boot, but not boot as we think of it. It's almost like a maybe a sandal on steroids a little bit or a little less, uh, and, and, but with studded soles designed to prevent sliding and to give good traction. And so Satan will try to, to knock you off your feet. He really will in any way, right? Many of, we know that. We need good traction spiritually when Satan comes at us in battle with his lies. Like, like when he lies and tells us that God won't forgive you for that again. It's a lie. It's, and it's our, it's our traction-giving footwear of the gospel. The good, that word means good news, by the way. That's all it means, gospel. The gospel of peace, the good news of peace, the traction-giving message that God's peace is in my heart and that peace involves, and primarily so, peace in relationship with Him. So when Satan gives a lie, tells me a lie like that, I, I can point to the fact that I've got God's shoes on. His peace-giving, traction, spiritually traction-giving shoes. Paul probably has in mind Isaiah 52, 7 uh, when he writes this. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation. How beautiful are the feet that, that take that message. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't find feet to be the most beautiful things to look at. Uh, and yet here they're called beautiful. Why? Because of their function. They help messengers take the good news to people who need to hear the good news message that they can have peace and eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Are your feet, are my feet prepared? Maybe not in this day of, in these days of, of physical distancing, but are our feet prepared to metaphorically walk across the street? Because we can't really do that, we send an email or we phone or we Shout across the street or across the fence at, at, at a neighbor. Are my feet prepared to take me to my laptop to sit down and write an email to a friend who, who is going through a, a, a painful time and I, I offer the opportunity for them to open their hearts to Jesus Christ and to the peace he wants to bring to their life and their eternity. Are my feet prepared to take me in action of sharing the good news message? I hope they are. I hope yours are. I want mine to be. As a matter of fact, I spoke on the phone yesterday with a, a, a young father and husband in our church who is relatively new to Christ in terms of having a relationship with him in the last number of months. And I was so encouraged and inspired by his expression, telling me a story of an open door at work that he had to give a Bible to someone who asked him. Because the day before, this guy, this Christian guy was praying for, for, for opportunities. He said, I, I just, my eyes are open for opportunities. And that's a, what a great posture. What a great way as Christians to go through our days. Especially these days. Our, our reactions, our actions might look different than when things were normal. <laughs> but nonetheless, our feet can still take us to where people are who need God's grace.
And then Paul says in verse 16, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. There's a very meaningful picture here. Roman soldiers carried a large rectangular shield on the front was leather dipped in water to extinguish the flaming arrows that came. And as uh, the troop of marching soldiers would get closer to the enemy, they would tighten up their position to one another and bring their their shields right together in the front, uh, maybe six or eight or nine across, and also on top, so that they were virtually impenetrable and protected from the enemy's arrows. My friends, Christian friends, listen, those of you who know Christ, this this is a picture of the body of Christ standing together. It's a beautiful picture. It's a powerful picture. And if you're not familiar with that term, maybe uh, you're not a, a Christ follower. You, you, you're trying to you know, put the pieces together and connect the dots on this whole Christian message. A great thing to be asking questions about and exploring any time, of course, but certainly at this Easter season. Um, but if that term, body of Christ, is unfamiliar, it's just simply in the New Testament refers to uh, the church and I'll, def- I'll also define that term because I think that's misunderstood many times. The, the, the term church in the Bible in the New Testament does not mean a building, does not mean an, an organization or, or a denomination. Um, oh, a, a good functioning church will have organization. Don't misunderstand. Uh, or the, the, a good church, a healthy church will, will often make a decision to affiliate with a particular group, uh, a part of the tribe, a part of the vineyard is, is sometimes is the imagery uh, that, uh, you know, for, for good and variety of reasons, uh, an affiliation with a certain denomination. But, but the, the term in the New Testament is, is not that. The, the term church in the New Testament refers to people. People who have committed their lives to God and chosen to be Christ followers. So, so there's this worldwide body of Christ. And that large, large group is then expressed locally through various churches or bodies of Christ followers in various places. And that is unmistakably uh, a part of what it means to follow Christ in the New Testament. And so back to the metaphor of the shield of faith. God intends that we live out our faith in close relationship with other Christ followers so that we can effectively stand together in strength against the enemy's assaults. Uh, when, When he throws those or shoots those flaming arrows uh, of, of, of doubt or, or despair or personal tragedy or temptation. Not to mention standing together through encouragement and prayer for one another. And, and, and the practical help and support that is part of a healthy local expression of the body of Christ. See, to try to bypass uh, connection with a local church and, and claim to be a Christ follower is, is, is missing one of the primary and foundational aspects of not only surviving, but thriving as a, as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. It is just so New Testament. Um, moving on. The, sh- the salvation, put on salvation as your helmet, the first part of verse 17 in Ephesians 6. Obviously, the helmet protects the head. Kids, you ride your bike, helmets, not an option. Moms, dads, motorcycle, helmets, not, not an option. Mountain climbers wear them, not sure what helmet's going to do when you fall 300 feet. But anyway, good thing. Um, the, the, the spiritual application of this metaphor of the helmet is to remind us that how we think matters. 
How we allow uh, our minds to think matters. Our, our minds, you know this I'm sure as I do, can be, can be minefields where Satan attacks with hatred, with false teaching, with doubt, with fear, with all kinds of lies. I mentioned doubt, fairly common attack that many Christians experience. Doubt, as an example, that they, that they really belong to God. You ever had a doubt like that? I have, and that's okay. Just, just don't park there. <laughs> find your way through, and, and here's a way to find our way through. Doubt that we really belong to God or that, or that God truly uh, has forgiven us. You know, Satan in Revelation 12, 10 and 11 is referred to as the accuser of Christians. And he's actually, the picture there in, in those verses, you should you read them later, write it down. Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, Revelation 12, 10 and 11. He's actually accusing you before your heavenly father, before God. Now, you need to know. God's not listening to him because what? God sees you and me, fortunately, through Christ and Christ's righteousness. So that's a good thing. But nonetheless, Satan still keeps trying. And then verse 11 of Revelation 12 says that we defeat Satan by the blood of the lamb. Kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? And our testimony, the word of our testimony. That's how we can defeat these lies of Satan. When he says, God's not really forgiven you. You're probably not even in his family. You should be worried about your eternity. You can't trust in God's grace. All of those lies. We, the Bible says, can defeat those lies and defeat Satan in our minds by putting on this, this helmet of salvation that reminds us that it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He's referred to as the lamb, the, 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 the perfect sacrifice taken from some Old Testament ways. Uh, um, but we defeat him by knowing that the blood of Jesus is perfect to forgive every sin. And by our testimony of choosing to trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 refers to the wearing of the helmet as being a, a, the confidence of our salvation. Another picture of the helmet there. Need to move on. Last part of verse 17. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul likens the word of God here, the Bible, to a sword. Every good soldier needs one. Uh, especially the, the Roman soldier way back when. Um, as, as, as he thought about the growing and victorious Christ follower. Can't, can't go into battle. There's no way a, a soldier back then would go into battle without a sword. Right? Same for us as Christians. Hebrews 4.12 uh, says that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the proper use of the sword of God's word that can cut through and counter every single lie of Satan, exposing him and exposing his schemes. As a matter of fact, Jesus modeled that, didn't he? When Satan came in, uh, in uh, Luke 4, he responded every time to those three temptations that Satan threw Jesus' way. And what, what were the first words out of Jesus' mouth in response to those temptations? You can read it, Luke 4. It is written. His first reference. It is written. Because the word of God says this, Satan, I'm not going to listen to you. And, and we need to do the same thing. Sadly, in some Christians' lives, this weapon cannot be utilized because they don't know it. They don't read it. That's why for years you've, you've heard us talk about uh, in, in the context of our, our church family, love God's word, grow in God's word, read God's word, memorize God's word, prayerfully ponder and meditate on God's word. We're not going to stop doing that. 
It's vital to our Christian life and our future. And I've got other things here. We were going to continue on, but I, I, for time's sake, I'm going to close. And in, this, in, this, in the application of this wild passage, it's kind of all over the map. And there's parts of the armor that maybe you look at your life, if you're a Christ follower, and say, you know what, I, I, by God's grace and my, my commitment, I'm, I'm doing pretty well in this area or that area. But maybe there's, something, maybe there's something about putting on the helmet of salvation and training your thought process and training your mind to be in line with God's word so that those lies aren't getting into your heart. I don't know. You can look through the armor. And I, I encourage you throughout the day today or this week to, to ponder, uh, to, to reread this passage and uh, approach it that way. Well, what do I need to ask God to help me with? What part of that metaphor uh, and so I, I'm encouraging you as Christians to, to do that, to, to put on and then to put on that armor daily, even if you need to open up uh, Ephesians 6 in addition to your other Bible reading, but for, for a week or two or a month, uh, get in the habit of, of knowing what that armor is and, and, and praying uh, and, and, and applying these truths to your life as you, as you start your day every day. It, it, it's, it's, it's reshaping really. So I encourage you to, to consider that. But maybe you've never given your life to, to Christ. Uh, you, you don't have to live under condemnation or guilt. We all are, are sinners. And, and we have the opportunity to be free from the daily impact of sin in our life and the eternal outcome of sin in our life that is not dealt with and that is being separated from God for eternity and God doesn't want that that's why he sent Jesus to be the payment for the penalty of our sin so you and I could live free and eternal with him and today God makes that offer to you Paul this same the same writer in the New Testament wrote in Romans 10 9 and 10 if we confess with our mouth believe in our heart that Jesus is the Lord and he, he was raised from the dead you'll be saved and I encourage you to open your heart to this good news message of Jesus today. And if you would pray with me right now, in this moment, it's not about the words I'm going to pray, but it's a posture of your heart. And God knows that. And in this moment, by your expression of trust and faith in Jesus and who he is and what he did, uh, you will be in God's eternal family in that moment. Will you ever stumble and be tripped up and fail again? Yeah, I, all of us do. But you're in relationship with the God who created you. Pray this prayer if that's your heart's desire today. Father, I thank you. Heavenly Father for sending your son Jesus. To step into my spot. And take my sin's penalty upon himself. Thank you Jesus for coming. Thank you for willingly, voluntarily coming. To be a sacrifice for my sin. So that that is not a barrier between me and God the Father, my creator. I trust you, Jesus. I ask you to, to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. Help me to follow you. I turn from my sin and I turn to God and, and to the one who loves me most and knows me best and created me to, to walk in relationship with him. And I, by, by faith, step into that relationship now. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer in the description, you'll see a number that you can text. 
And we just want to come alongside you, not harass you, but truly to, to, to help you, to maybe give you some resources, to, to help you grow in this new relationship with God that we're, that we're all growing in every day, right? But you can ask, ask you to text the word Jesus, the name Jesus. Text Jesus to that number and that will come to us to be able to, uh, to, be able to come alongside with you. I mentioned earlier that I would say something about Palm Sunday. It's an important day. And we, we, on this day as Christians, remember the time when Jesus came into Jerusalem. Everybody was celebrating. The people were waving these palm branches, which were a symbol of, of, of honor and, and victory and, and, and peace. I don't think the crowd so much realized that Jesus was coming to be crucified and to die as the full payment for the penalty of their sin and the sin of the world. But I want to encourage you today to find some time to read 11 verses. Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. Write write that down. Matthew 21, 1 to 11. Uh, About Jesus, what's referred to as his triumphal entry. Satan was looking at it as his defeat, but no, it was triumphal because, because of what Jesus knew his death and resurrection would bring for you and I, right? Our entrance into heaven, the bridge back to God. And so it's called his triumphal entry into, into Jerusalem on, on his way to the cross. But I want you to read it through the day by yourself or together with your family. And then, and then later this week or maybe throughout the week, take Matthew chapter 27 and 28 and, and maybe Take several days and you can take sections and read through those two chapters to prepare uh, our hearts for Easter weekend. I want to say something uh, regarding Easter Sunday. I had to process my own disappointment, truly, <laughs> about, about our decision to not distribute these uh, really good looking uh, 5,000 door hanger invitations to Easter Sunday that we had for some weeks already available to ready to go in the office. And as many of you know, we, we, we chose last Sunday night to, to not do that. Really, again, a, a, a decision with our pastoral team that was out of love and care for people uh, given our current situation. But as we made that decision, I was in the, almost immediately after the decision was made, I I became aware and confident that the Eaglemont family would really uh, together lean into uh, uh, online inviting. And so there's opportunities as we showed the video earlier, just a little while ago, uh, that is on Eaglemont YouTube channel. For those not on social media, you can go and copy and paste that uh, along with the, the, the copy and paste the link to our homepage where people can join in next Sunday at 10 to 10 and we'll be there uh, 10 to 10 next Sunday uh, if all goes well in the tech world and they're not asking me for advice on that by the way Uh, but we're excited about this and and there's uh, there's uh, on Instagram and Facebook you can uh, see uh, our Easter invitations this week and posts and encourage you to repost and and phone people and direct them again to eaglemont.church where they can choose the live stream of, of YouTube or, or, or Facebook, as, as all of you watching obviously know. Uh, at eaglemont.church, there's a little uh, learn more here button just under the nice Easter graphic that's there on the homepage. And there you'll see the nine messages in the Problem of God series that we're doing after Easter for nine weeks. 
as well as the activities that our Eaglemont uh, Children's Ministry under Pastor Crystal's uh, leadership ha- have in place and made available to families during this Easter week. You can find those also on Eaglemont Kids uh, Facebook page, but be sure you're checking out all those good resources and prayerfully inviting unchurched friends. It's been said a few times, and I, I believe it, that, that next Sunday there could be more people in, our, in the orbit of our relationships. Very likely that there may be more people that we know who don't know Christ yet, uh, who, who will hear the message of the cross and the message of Easter because of this uh, online option. Um, There's probably some that would do that, but maybe not ready to walk through the doors of a church yet. And so just be praying, be be, be inviting. Thank you for your help in this, in getting the word out about the greatest message that could ever be shared. And we get to share it next Sunday. So thanks church uh, for joining us in in this. Um, hmm. Yeah, I I had a word here that I just wanted to say how much I miss you, church family. And uh, it just... Yeah, just, just miss you. Praying, our, our pastoral team misses you. They've expressed that. Um, we're praying for you. We're praying God's strength. A, a prayer that I'm praying a lot for people is just a, a keen sense of God's nearness every day. He's there. He's with you. And it's been so great to be able to share this time with you today. Uh, thanks for, uh, for being together with us online. Uh, go in, in God's strength. Make it a great week. God bless you.